Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center podcast feed. I am not Ken Knapsack. I am Joseph Scrimshaw. Here with me is Jennifer Landa. I was expecting Ken Knapsack. Wait a minute. But yes, he's not here. He's gone. He's, <laughs> he's gone. Not here. No, he is off having an adventure, I believe, in the Redwoods. He is. I was looking. I was snooping on Instagram. On his well, Instagram. Yeah, I mean, he did hashtag. <laughs> <not> snooping. <laughs> hashtag Redwood Wedding. Uh, his friend, I believe Megan Finley, yes. uh, got married this weekend, and it looked 
epic. She had a Game of Thrones theme. Oh, nice. And they also had uh, some Star Wars rolled into the mix. Yeah. Really cool. I accept this as reality. I know that's where Ken is, but in my mind, he's just, he's playing with Ewoks. <laughs> he's drinking. He's chatting with them. He's interviewing them. They're having a great time I up there in the Redwoods. Yeah. Uh, so Ken can't uh, join us this weekend because he's busy as we record, but there's so much going on and we want to make sure that we get Force Center out every Tuesday. So Jennifer and I are here to do the main show, the super star destroyer of our fleet. Uh, I'm going to say the power generator room of our Theed Palace. Ooh, oh, yeah. I like it. I thought of it ahead of time. Oh, you did? <laughs> wow. <laughs> that was not off the top of my head. Okay. I spent at least 20 minutes thinking, no, 20 seconds. 20 <laughs> seconds of quality there for you guys. So uh, we want to get right into it. As always, Jennifer, you have some news for us. I do. So we're going to talk about something a little bit uh, difficult at the beginning here, which is the news about Carrie Fisher that yeah. came out. So last week, the Los Angeles County Coroner's Office released Carrie Fisher's autopsy results and the toxicology report. Um, and essentially what they said was that the cause of death was sleep apnea. Um, and also uh, that was a primary cause, but that there was some drug intake um, that also was a contributing factor. So regarding uh, her passing, Carrie's daughter, Billy Lord, released a statement exclusively to people. And it's a really beautiful statement. I yeah. just want to read it. Um, she said, quote, my mom battled drug addiction and mental illness her entire life. She ultimately died of it. She was purposely open in all of her work about the social stigmas surrounding these diseases. She talked about the shame that torments people and their families confronted by these diseases. I know my mom. She'd want her death to encourage people to be open about their struggles, seek help, fight for government funding for mental health programs. Shame and those social social stigmas are the enemies of progress to solutions and ultimately a cure. Love you, Mombi. End quote. Oh God, yeah. such a such a beautiful statement. And I think I, I noticed that some people online did not want to talk about it. They were upset that the news was even released and made public. Yeah. Um, and I saw other people that were kind of blaming Carrie Fisher, which so I thought let's talk about it. And yeah. Let's talk about it in a way that honors Carrie Fisher work as an advocate for mental illness and for addiction. Yeah, absolutely. It was a fascinating uh, sort of social media storm mm -hmm. where sometimes the reaction to something is larger than the initial thing and then the reaction to the reaction. And it, it, it got very circular, I thought, very quickly. But mm -hmm. I thought the good thing was that a lot of it, the discussion was in the spirit of what Billy Lord said of Carrie Fisher would not want to sweep this under the rug. Right. It, in, in Carrie Fisher, to my recollection, you are, you know, a student of Carrie Fisher and a journalist of Carrie Fisher, really, that I don't feel like she ever came out and said, hey, guys, by the way, I beat it all. Happily <laughs> no. ever after time now. She's, I'm in recovery. Addicts always say, I am in recovery. That is a part of the process and a part of the reality. Absolutely. In fact, she gave um, an interview, I believe, in 2013 or I think it was 2013 where she had a relapse regarding her mental illness. And she said that what had happened was she'd kind of lost like the, um, the, the realness of the subject because she always joked about it. It was obviously yeah. part of like her, um, her books and her one woman shows. And so she said that she, she realized that it's not a joke. This is a very serious matter and that it's something that she's going to be dealing with for the rest of her life every single day. It does not go away. And she has to confront that. Yeah. And uh, not make light of it, kind of recognize the seriousness of it. Yeah. And she felt the same way about her addiction as well. And also why she was addicted to drugs and how she always felt like she had this larger than life personality because of being bipolar. And she said that taking drugs was a way for her to feel 
quote unquote normal. Yeah. It calmed her down and made her feel like less um, self conscious yeah. about this larger than life, you know, Carrie Fisher personality that she yeah. had. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It's, I th- yeah. I think the whole thing left me with the like, well, really be careful not to have a knee jerk reaction mm-hmm. to things in any one direction. Because I think it's easy to have a knee jerk reaction to, you know, don't be puritanical about it and be like, it's too bad that, you know, she ruined her good life for those drugs. Like, that makes me mad. But then at the same time, you don't want to be t- too knee jerk about it in the other direction of saying, just talk about how awesome and funny she was. Because it was really a problem too. And, and more than anything, it's like, um, more sort of a have balance. Yeah. <laughs> Read things, mm-hmm. think about them, talk about them, and, you know, don't jump to any specific conclusion. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that's the best way to honor her and her legacy and the work that she did. Yeah. So it's okay to talk about it. We don't have to um, to dwell on it. But if, you know, if, if people are going to be talking about it, let's talk about it in a, in a real way. Yeah. And maybe help other people who are struggling with addiction or mental illness. Yeah. Um, and certainly, gosh, we need some we need some public funding, government funding, <laughs> yes. as Billy Lord mentioned, um, because it is there is a lot of stigmas related to both of them. Absolutely. People just kind of don't want to talk about it because it's, it's a difficult subject. But yeah, it's easy to fall into stereotypes specifically for famous people. Oh, of like you, you have a big career and then you die. You know, that, you know, back in the day, that was like every episode of biography on mm. A&E. It was like they were amazing stars and then they had the great fall. And I feel like we've kind of created this myth and that's not true. Yeah. You know, celebrities are human beings and they have lives mm-hmm. and uh, ups and downs with them. Kind of to connect it back a little bit to Star Wars, mm-hmm. uh, because her life is sort of intertwined with Star Wars always. Yes. I do think it's interesting that we are going to continue talking about this because of the way the movies played out. We're going to mm. be talking about Carrie Fisher again when Episode 8 comes out. Episode 8 could totally play itself out where the, there's no indication of what is going to happen to the character of Princess Leia. Right. And of course, uh, in general, Leia. And of course, as Episode 9 ramps up, there's going to be another round of talking. And then once episode nine comes out and we see how it's handled, there's going to be another round of talking about that. So we're going to live with, uh, for better or worse, the real human being, Carrie Fisher, and the character of Leia and all that they mean for quite a while. So we're not going to be done talking. And uh, I know I'm going on a bit, but uh, the last thing that I wanted to say about this, and I'm, I'm interested to hear what you think about this, is I know that some people have not liked The Force Awakens because they like the idea of our heroes won on Endor, the camera fades away happily ever after. And it bums me out to know that they didn't win. Mm. Um, and it takes something away from their victory. And I've always been like, this is great because our fantasy world of Star Wars is reminding us of reality. There, We have victories and we have defeats. And we do from the moment we're born to the day we die. That's real life and humanity. And it's fascinating to me now that... that uh, perhaps truth of Carrie Fisher's life is going to be reflected in our fun fantasy world of Star Wars because we're going to continue telling character stories for a long, long time, which means there aren't those just pat fairy tale endings. Mm, so well said. Yeah, absolutely. That, And that's, I think, one of the reasons why we like Star Wars is, is seeing our heroes in these dire situations. How are they going to get out of it? Yeah. You know, sometimes they don't get out of it. Sometimes bad things happen to good people. Sometimes good people turn into bad people. Yeah. That, that is, and I like where Star Wars is now going, as we talked about many, many times, dealing with these shades of gray. Yeah. And uh, I think that it's it's really important and it's a way to kind of 
as George Lucas talked about, you know, modern mythology. Right. To be able to teach these lessons of, of morality and, you know, of friendship and loyalty and all those wonderful things. Um, and also learning that, yeah, the monsters, they're, they're out there. Yeah. You know, how are you going to deal with it? Yeah. And what happens if you don't succeed? How are you going to deal with that? Yeah. You know? And that's a great sort of just George uh, moral of just always stay in touch with your inner 12-year-old. <laughs> Go like, <laughs> is this the choice I want to make now? Right, yeah. right, Would exactly. Would 12-year-old me be proud of that? Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Oh, man. I well, great, uh, great coverage and great insight as always. And I know you have a video up with a, a, yeah. a nice discussion of this as well. Yeah, and it's been great to see how people are commenting about, you know, people that um, that loved ones that they've lost or loved ones that, that are currently dealing with addiction and, and getting a conversation going and yeah. feeling like, okay, it, it's a lot. It's a huge burden on those who are addicted and who are suffering from addiction, but also the people that care about those people and yeah. want to help them. So it all starts with talking about it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So let's talk about uh, Forces of Destiny. Excellent. Yeah. This is really exciting. I'm so excited about this series. Uh, the new animated micro-series, Forces of Destiny, will be out later this summer, and writer Jennifer Murrow has been sharing more details about the show. The Wookiee Gunner recaps some of Jennifer's recent interviews where she said that while uh, working on the series, she collaborated with Dave Filoni, Carrie Beck, Lucasfilm's VP of Animation, Josh Rimes, and the Lucasfilm Story Group. And together, they guided her on how to operate within canon and keep a (laughs) sense of continuity. I love that. Um, She also said that it was difficult, uh, challenging rather, uh, on trying to tell a story well in just two to three minutes. Incredibly short episodes. Um, But that ultimately, she feels like they did a good job incorporating the core theme of what it means to be a hero in Star Wars. Um, She also revealed that we're going to learn a little bit more about about Sabine Wren's backstory, Ooh. and there will be some team-ups yes. in the series. Yes. So immediately I'm like, okay, who are the team-ups? Uh, you know, is it going to be Maz and Leia? Is it going to be Ahsoka and Jyn Erso? Like, who, oh, yeah. who will it be? I have a feeling it might be related to Ahsoka, because we know that Ashley has been going back into the recording booth. Right, and she was spotted with Matt Lattner, right, uh-huh. who voiced Anakin in Clone Wars. Uh-huh. Ooh, that's very intriguing. Yeah, yeah. I'm really excited about this series, and uh, I do wonder how are they going to tell these stories in, in two to three minutes? Is it, is it going to be more like slice of, like, like little moments? I think so, because, like, the, the just a little bits we've seen show the time frame. Mm. Like, you know, with Leia with uh, Wicket on Endor. Right. Maybe that's after Return of the Jedi, but there's still troopers there, so you get the sense of, like, here is a tiny adventure that happens from when they start walking away from the wreckage of the bikers, uh, you know, the, the, the speeder bikes, to... The village, like maybe it was the story of how did she get the dress? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And how did she get the dress heroically? Oh I don't, my yeah. gosh, yeah. Um, and then like with Ray, this is fascinating to me when they're saying like, we need to work within canon mm. and Ray is so blocked in. Right. And I think they've already revealed, well, it's an adventure that she has with BB-8. So mm-hmm. again, that's like in those five minutes on her walk into Neem Outpost, they have some kind of adventure. Basically. Yeah. yeah. It was that little clip that they showed with her and BB-8, and then I believe she spots um, Tito, Tito off in the dif- distance. Yeah. So maybe it will be some sort of interaction with them. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't care, quite frankly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, just give me give me these characters. Um, and they're also, this is interesting too, they're going to be doing uh, Princess, uh, well, Leia, obviously, as we talked about, and it's going to be, she's going to be voiced by Shelby 
Toby Young, who's a newcomer to Star Wars. And Jennifer Moreau said that she really brought the character to life. Oh, nice. That's yeah, great. That's great. That was neat. Um, so I, I'm really excited about that. And another thing I'm really excited about... <laughs> is the Forces of Destiny's dolls. Yeah. Because yakface.com shared some new images of the Forces of Destiny's products, and they look awesome. (laughs) Uh, We got a closer look at the single-figure Rey of Jakku, Sabine Wren, and the deluxe Endor Leia set, including Princess Leia, and Wicked the Ewok. Yeah. It includes that dress, as you're speaking of. Yeah, it does. It's on like a little hanger, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you can switch out her wardrobe, which is <laughs> a dream come true for me. Um, <laughs> so uh, I thought that these 11-inch dolls look pretty amazing. But you know, there's always haters out there. Yeah. Because some of the comments were like, I don't like those designs. Well, they don't look right. What did you think of the dolls? I think... The figures, excuse uh, me. Well, no, I mean, these are dolls, kind right? Of, yeah, I mean, I think like that action is. Dolls. They're action dolls, yeah. <laughs> uh, but they are definitely, design wise, they are dolls, which I think is part of the point, which I think right. is fascinating because it's on this fulcrum of uh, Disney and Lucasfilm just saying, like, yes, we want to make things that are for everybody. Mm-hmm. In the new sequel movies, which are for everybody, Ray is the hero, period. But now we still also want to very traditionally target young women mm-hmm. by making dolls. And, it, and there's and there are plenty of boys who want dolls too, and that's sure. fine. There's nothing, but it is, I think, from a marketing perspective, no, they're dolls. In case for some reason young women aren't interested in action figures, mm. and I don't know, I just kind of looked at them within that of like I like the Leia design. The Sabine Wren design is, is a little wonky to me. Like there's just something in her sculpt that doesn't quite capture. Mm. The mood or the energy of the character? I did, yeah, I yeah. can see that. Mm-hmm. And that has nothing like, oh, stupid dolls. I want an action figure which <laughs> looks cool and sculpted in General Giant Studio. Like, there's none of that. It's just like, of the three dolls, like, she doesn't, it doesn't quite capture the magic of Sabine for me. Right. But right. I like all the other ones. I really I like Wicked. Oh. Wicked looks crazy, <laughs> which is good. Yes, I'm so excited to get these uh, dolls. I, I just, and you know, they're also supposedly going to be coming out with not just dolls, but also like apparel and yeah. bedding and ex- who knows what else. The sky's the limit. But this is a dream come true for myself and so many other yeah. fans yeah. wanting this since we were kids. I'm most excited this because this is the first wave and there's going to be another wave. And yes. I'm most excited for poor Padme, who oh. doesn't always get her spot in the the spotlight. Uh-huh. So I think both in the series and in these dolls, you know, bringing her uh, sort of out of the shadow of the people who dislike the prequels mm. and bringing her into like, hey, you like Sab- you only thing you ever saw is Rebels and you like Sabine. Great. Well, you should learn about Padme. Mm. And like, and I hope Padme gets a crossover. I hope Padme gets to meet Maz Kanata, you know. <gasps> Can you imagine? Just to kind of bring her into the fold a little bit more and celebrate her character, which, you know, d- d- despite what you think of how it was executed in the prequels, her character is important to Star Wars and should be celebrated. Absolutely. Do we know who's voicing Padme in the series? I think, uh, I think the, uh, is, is it, it um, uh, Tabor? Cat- oh, okay. Like, who voiced was, her in the Clone Wars. Is it Cat, Cat Tabor? No. Uh, I think Catherine Tabor, I think, oh, yeah. is the, yes, the woman's okay. name. I yeah. could be wrong, and uh, I will don't... be flooded with tweets, <laughs> and I will acknowledge all of them. Uh, but yeah, I believe it is the, oh, cool. the actor who played her in Clone Wars. Cool. Okay, yeah. great. 
Ah, I can't wait. It just makes me so happy. Are you going to get them for yourself and or your daughter or just for your whole family? Uh, For both of us. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I was like, I really do feel like we kind of need to because my daughter, you know, she's like not ripping off the heads, but she's a little aggressive. (laughs) A little aggressive with her toys. I want a pristine one that I can, you know, display in in our bedroom. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So two of each. Um, Well, fans who like dealing in shades of gray, then you are going to love the Christy Golden new book, Battlefront 2, Inferno Squad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Obviously, the novel is a tie-in to the upcoming Battlefront 2 game and stars a new character named Aiden Versio, voiced by Janina Gavankar. Hope I pronounced her last name right. She is so cool. I, I follow her on Twitter. I love her. Anyways, um, author Christy Golden told USA Today that it was a wonderful experience to be able to explore the Empire side of things through the eyes of Aiden, who is a strong, likable person, but who <laughs> happens to firmly believe in what she's been taught about the Empire. Yeah. I thought that was a really nice little twist there. She's actually a very likable character, under, unlike, you know, Palpatine. Yes, who so. is evil. He says it himself. He likes it. Exactly. Uh, USA Today also shared an exclusive excerpt from the novel, and it's good. Uh, yes. I won't spoil it for those of you listening, but the scene takes place during the Death Star trench run, but from the Empire's mm. point of view with Aiden in her TIE fighter. The novel itself takes place uh, after the events of A New Hope, unlike the game, which actually takes place, uh, her storyline takes place after the Battle of Endor. Right. So this is a prequel, if you will. Um, I guess... We always talk about, you know, this kind of like uh, a tight time frame, yeah. this timeline that we're dealing with. How did you feel? Did you read the excerpt? First I one? read the excerpt and uh, I, I have read uh, most of the, the book that Christy Golden wrote, uh, The Dark Disciple. Oh, yeah. And I, mm-hmm. I like her prose. I think it's great. But I thought this was particularly great because yeah. I am of the persuasion that Star Wars prose should be action packed mm. and make you feel like it has the movement and energy of movies. And she really captured that. So I just really liked the prose. And then I immediately liked the character. And then when I was about halfway through it, I was like, oh, yeah, I should be grumpy about this. Right, exactly. Because we talk about it as the forced gumpification of Star Wars, where every little scene, like, it turns out there are eight characters from comic books and novels that were secretly there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't bother me, though. It, it was almost more of like a, uh, a mental thing than an emotional thing. About halfway through, I was like, oh, yeah, I should be grumpy about this. Yeah. Isn't yeah. that something? I had the same reaction. Normally, I don't like that either. That's kind of like retconning of these characters. Oh, so-and-so was there. But I really got sucked into it. It's a great way of de- explaining it is that it did feel like very cinematic yeah. on this page. Yeah. Uh, I'm really excited. I would love to read this book. We'll see if I'll actually be able to get to it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was really, really impressed with how wonderful of a writer she is. Yeah. Um, and this character, too, of Aiden Versio, she sounds just... Like, she's very likable, very confident. Um, seems like she has a good heart. Yeah. So this seems is going to be complicated. Complicated. It also seems like it is maybe going to this Star Wars well that we've been going to too much of father issues. Yeah. Because oh, already right. in this excerpt, she's talking about what her father trained her to believe. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that that's a part of the story because I do think there's a, a weird thing going on with uh, our, our uh, fascination right now with the gray area. Mm-hmm. Like, great, let's tell more complicated stories and let's see the human perspective because obviously a lot of people are just like, I live in this place and in this galaxy, Palpatine took over and he claims that things are going to be more orderly and controlled now. And if you're in a place where you don't see the horror and the terror of the awful things the Empire are doing, have never heard of a Sith Lord. Yeah. Of course, you could just be indoctrinated and believe those things. Mm-hmm. But for me, there's a weird um, 
I don't want to lose that. The Empire is evil. Mm-hmm. They do objectively awful things. That mm-hmm. is still ultimately the story of Star Wars. So I'm interested to read things like this and feel like I want to like this character. I want to see where she's coming from. But I do ultimately want to walk away feeling like this is a good person who bought into the wrong ideology mm. for some reason. Right. I think that that, that uh, parental connection is definitely going to be a huge part of it. Yeah. And then I believe in the game, the whole, whole motivation is is that she wants to um, avenge uh, Palpatine's death. Yeah. The Emperor's death. So that's interesting. Like, wh- why? Why does she still so firmly believe in it? Like, does she become a, even more... Because um, it sounds like in this excerpt, like, she kind of is questioning a little bit, like, the, the chain of command and being able to voice her opinion. And- yeah, and even wishing for shields, which is, like, a very <laughs> symbolic thing between mm. re- re- rebel ships and uh, TIE fighters, that they don't have any shields because they're just right. disposable. Mm-hmm. Exactly, and that and whole And she talks idea. about that. Yeah. 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 So it seems like there's this individuality bubbling, and individuality is not necessarily desired by the Empire, unless uh-huh. you're a higher up. Absolutely. So it'll be interesting how she's able to grapple with that and perhaps, you know, push it down. Yeah. And then we'll see what happens with her in the game as well. So that's really exciting stuff. Yeah. Um, and now, let's talk about... <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're getting into some uh, juicy stuff here. One of the 800-pound uh, gorillas in the room. <laughs> Several 800-pound gorillas. Exactly. So we know that Ryan Johnson asked J.J. Abrams to make an adjustment to The Force Awakens uh, to better fit the story in The Last Jedi. Now StarWarsNews.net is reporting that Collar Trevorrow, Colin Trevorrow, myself, whatever, <laughs> Colin Trevorrow made a similar request to Ryan Johnson. Uh, Colin told MTV's Happy, Sad, Confused podcast that he asked <laughs> I know, that got me too. <laughs> Happy, Sad, Confused podcast. That's my day in a nutshell. Uh, this news comes from dorkyborkbork.com, so please take it seriously. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, this, yeah, they actually have some good stuff here. Uh, he said that um, they asked him about, you know, what did you ask Ryan Johnson um, to include anything yeah. in the film? And he said, yeah, actually, could you shoot this one extra thing while you're in this place on this day? Mm, very cryptic. And Ryan did. Yeah. So whatever that thing is, I don't know. I'm kind of guessing maybe it had to do with Skellig Michael, perhaps. Mm, because yeah. it is such a difficult location to get to. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know. It could just be something totally minor. Yeah, it seems to me like it could be a shot that he wanted for episode nine for mm. some reason. Mm-hmm. Or it could be something that like they haven't even finished hashing out of like, hey, maybe I want you to plant this seed in episode eight for episode nine. Mm-hmm. It would be great if we could have Luke just say this one cryptic thing <laughs> about how lightsabers work, because I'm really going to do that. So could you shoot that in, like, not even for sure that it's in the movie? Mm, right, exactly. Yeah, so, yeah, I think you're right. I don't think that they are finished with the script. Are for they? nine? Yeah. I, it seems up a little up in the air. Yeah, especially with, you know, Carrie Fisher's passing. Uh, and uh, Yeah, so I, I don't know what's going on with that. But something that I thought was really interesting was that he made a point in this interview to talk about uh, what it's like to work with Lucasfilm. Um, and he very explicitly said it's a collaborative process mm-hmm. and that they're not some corporate overlord dictating the storylines. They're a bunch of creatives who want to get the stories right and they're all genuinely interested in doing the work of their lives to realize this. Yeah. So I guess his job is safe, uh, first of all. <laughs> well, we, maybe we can talk about that some more because that's a, yeah, an interesting what, what conversation. Do, you think about? do we want to dive into that? 
Yeah, sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, uh, about whether or not his job is safe? Yeah. Yeah, because Ken touched on this on Spotlight Star Wars. Obviously, there was the the kick up of concern because the Book of Henry did so poorly yeah. in theaters. Uh-huh. Uh, and then everybody was like, but the, uh, like he, it appears he wrote Episode Nine. Then it appears he started to rewrite Episode Nine after Carrie Fisher passed away. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's so far into it. There's no way he's going to, oh, nope, wait. I said this on my anchor station, but like it seems like Lucasfilm will take you out on opening day if they think that will make the movie better. <laughs> yeah. So no, I don't. I don't think he's safe. You don't. No. Oh wow. Okay. I almost felt like this was like his way of saying I, I'm very happy. I'm very happy with this with this process. <laughs> hey guys. <laughs> I certainly think that is him saying what he feels needs people need to hear. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because well, it's a, he addresses a lot of complaints of fans. A, the, like, I'm not being controlled by corporate overlords. Mm-hmm. Uh, B, it is collaborative, so it's not that Ryan made his, and it's like a choose-your-own-adventure, and then I just pick up. We talked about it. Mm-hmm. And then also he says, in, I believe, in there uh, something about, like, they don't make decisions based on toys, yeah. which is another common fan complaint. Right. And if you look at the aisles and aisles of Gus Tours, Yes, of course. It's pretty obvious to all of us. They're not making decisions for the benefit of the toys. But the toys would be better. <laughs> yes, <laughs> the absolutely. Gus Tour's defense. So I, I'm not saying that I think he is in imminent danger. Uh-huh. I just think as we get into our main topic about uh, Han Solo, mm-hmm. I think they've demonstrated that no one is safe. If the product isn't good, yeah, and there were, are a lot of fans that are not happy with with him, especially after hearing what happened with the Book of Henry and how he handled uh, the the mother, or the female character yeah. in that film. People are concerned. How is he going to handle uh, Leia's storyline? Exactly. You There's know? extra pressure there. Yeah. So, which I guess kind of reassures me in some way that it's like, look, if it, if it doesn't work, Lucasfilm will pull him. Yeah. You know, because absolutely. Ultimately, they are wanting to serve the the greater good of these stories. What fits with their universe? Yeah. If it doesn't fit. You're bye. Out. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, let's get into let's the get into it. Okay. the story of bye. You're out. <laughs> I don't know how we're gonna get out of this one. In case, uh, dear listeners, to Four Center people who obsessively love Star Wars, in case you haven't heard, Lord and Miller are out as the directing duo of the Han Solo solo movie. Ooh, <laughs> the yeah. duo's out of Solo, and uh, of course, as we now know, Ron Howard is in. And you did some good research on all of the statements that were made mm. and uh, kind of the the schedule of what's going to happen because there were like three weeks left of principal photography, right? But they had already baked in. A bunch of reshoot time. Uh-huh. And now Ron Howard is going to come and he's going to look at all the footage. Yes. And he's going to decide how much more they're going to film or refilm. Yeah, this is really fascinating. I feel like everyone had the same reaction, which was uh, like, what? What? Yeah, I was shocked. From? Yeah. But it does explain why we did not see any footage or really anything about the Han Solo film at Celebration. It was like it didn't year. exist pretty much. Yeah. So I think that this has been, you know, bubbling under the surface for a while and just with the fans, we had no idea. Yeah. Um, but this was a real shock. And especially when you learn that they only have three more weeks yeah. of filming. Um, but I was reading that I guess like the whole, the whole thing is, is that, well, one motivation might be because it's th- their way of locking him out of, locking them out of the editing bay. Yes, because of like DGA rules about how long a director has to be gone before they uh, have an opportunity to have a word on the final cut of the film. Exactly. So they feel like even if we if we kept them and figured we can rescue the film's tone to be what we Lucasfilm wanted to be in the editing process, 
but we can't even do that unless we fire them today. Today. Yeah. And it also, to me, signals that they didn't believe that Lord and Miller would comply with what Lucasfilm wanted in yeah. the editing process. They didn't trust them, yeah. essentially. And I read another report that it was a matter, and these are all rumors, right? Mm-hmm. We don't know anything for sure. Basically, right. it's just which Star Wars news source do you really trust to have the inside <laughs> scoop? So these are all rumors. But I read another uh, great article that talked about how Alden Ehrenreich himself was a part of the concern oh. of bringing up what he thought was problematic in saying like, hey, Kathleen, Lawrence has been upset and I think he might be right. Oh. So that would be like a big vote of confidence for Alden Ehrenreich wanting the movie to be a certain way. And what this article said is that basically then Kathleen Kennedy looked at the rough cut of the existing footage altogether mm-hmm. and agreed with Lawrence Kasdan and Alden Ehrenreich that this is not the way to go, brought Lord and Miller in and said, okay, we've got three more weeks left. We've got reshoots. This is where we think it's going wrong. This is what you need to do. And Lord and Miller said, no, we want to do it our way. And she said, great, there's the door. Yeah. So mm. there's the sort of like more uh, murky Directors Guild of America rules of like, when when do we uh, uh, cut them so we don't affect the edit versus just the like, hey, would you like to do it the way we, the people employing you, are asking you to do? No. Okay. Well, then buy. Mm. Like you work at Walmart. <laughs> do it our way or anywhere. Right. Or because we are your bosses. Uh, but yeah, we'll get into the nitty gritty of a lot of this. But I just wanted That's to start by asking, how do you feel about all of it just as a fan, Jennifer? You know, um, I was taken aback. But then as these kind of rumors started coming out, and even my own gut reaction from the get-go, I've never been excited about the Han Solo right. film. I've always felt like it's a really uphill battle because you have this iconic character of Han Solo and Chewbacca and Lando. And we know his story or, you know, and even if you've read any of the quote-unquote legend stuff. Like, yeah. you have an idea of what they might be playing with um, in their toolbox. So I wasn't confident about this film. Then with Lord and Miller, I thought, well, that's a fresh take. Yeah. That's going to make it kind of, you know, uh, interesting. And their funny sense of, you know, their sense of humor is going to really kind of uh, bring something new yeah. to Star Wars. But that, to me, is also the problem with them, hiring yeah. them as directors, because I was like, well, are they going to be respectful to the material and to the characters. Are they going to go too far out from what is the tone of right. Star Wars? So when I heard that they were fired at first, I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is spells disaster. And then I went, oh no, this, this is actually might help the film become better. So did you come out more excited about the movie? I don't know about more excited, uh, but I think, uh, that it's going to be, a, I think it's going to be a good film. I think we're going to be all right. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to be mind-blowing or totally fresh, yeah. like what Lauren Miller would have done, but I think we'll be satisfied. I, I'm going to say it right now. I'm, it, I think it's going to be mind-blowing. You do? I am, I was, I've always been more of a fan of this film than a lot of people, Oh, uh, and I am so much more excited for this movie. Why? By, like, a lot. Oh, my gosh. Well, because uh, uh, I feel like... The, that Kathleen Kennedy and Lawrence Kasdan in particular, mm-hmm. people who have been uh, caretakers of Han Solo for decades, feel like they know what they want to do and they are willing to fight for it makes me feel like this is going to be faithful to the Han we know. Mm-hmm. And I'm all for fresh voices. I think we can talk more about where fresh voices belong in Star Wars. But this is this delicate thing of like, 
if it's not broke, don't fix it. Absolutely. In terms of Han Solo. And the reason that I continue to be excited about this movie, and all this news gave me a chance to think about it, is I love Jedi. I love Skywalkers. I love Fate. I love Destiny. I love it all. But that's, from the original trilogy perspective, that's like 60% of Star Wars. In mm. 40% is swashbuckling bad boys and girls, you know, pushing the boundaries of what you should do. Uh, getting themselves into trouble, getting themselves out of trouble with uh, a wry comment, but not too self-aware, and just swashbuckling adventure with heart to it. And I feel like that's what this movie could be. And it's a chunk of Star Wars we haven't really seen on screen in a while, because we've always had that Jedi presence and everything basically since the original trilogy. And even Rogue One had the... um, It was... There wasn't a lot of Jedi presence... But it was about soldiers mm-hmm. and duty and responsibility and hope. And it wasn't just about some kid trying to make a name for himself in the galaxy and try yeah. to decide who he wants to be and getting into a jam and getting out of a jam and meeting buddies. And just like, uh, I'm excited to have that spirit of the original trilogy to have its own whole film. Mm. And I feel now like that spirit is known and guarded. Right. Excellent. Oh, man. Well, now I'm on board. <laughs> My only concern is that if, if they had given Ron Howard the film at the get-go, yeah. then I would have been like, yes, bring it on. I am a little concerned because I think he even tweeted about this, Like, I, I, and I can't remember exactly how he articulated, but basically, he's kind of picking up the pieces, and he's going to try and serve the story as best as he can. Yeah. So, you know, they've shot. The majority of the film that their Lord and Miller's tone is going to be there. I mean, how is he going to? I don't want to say salvage, but how is he going to shape it into? You know, he is a fantastic filmmaker, yeah. Ron Howard. He's so great at balancing, you know, plots, the story with great character development, yeah. which is what I feel like this this film needs. Uh, so, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think this is where my writer bias comes in. Okay. And good. I believe that Lawrence Kasdan's script yes. was really good yes. and just needed to be filmed. Yep, absolutely. And that the director's job was probably to make it look good mm-hmm. along with the DP. And uh, to help the actors that, you know, a director's job can be many things. It can be shaping the film, which is why we give them the auteur title and give them ultimate authorship of a film. But practically, a lot of times it's just like help the actors realize what's on the page if you have faith with what is on the page. And I have faith with what is on the page. So I feel like Ron Howard being a great director going like, I see what Lawrence was trying to do in this scene. Mm. That's not what Lord and Miller had you guys do. Let's go go back to Cantina. (laughs) And I'm going to help you do what's on the goddamn page. Absolutely. And that's what I've been reading as well, was that there was too much improvisation with Lord and Miller. Yeah. And, and, and I'll tell you, from an actor's point of view, the one thing you never do whenever I've gone in for like, you know, the, the, what they call the callback with, you know, the producers and the writers in the room, you don't go as an actor and say, oh, here's your script. You know, I'm going to improv uh, what I think is going to be funnier than the lines that you've written on this page. Writers, well, I'm sure you yeah. would, you would hate it. People hate it. It's disrespectful. It's like, especially if the the writer is Lawrence freaking Kasdan. Yeah, this is a man who knows these characters better than anyone. Yeah, like George Lucas, obviously. Um, honor the, honor his words. Yeah, and I can see how that would be disrespectful. 
uh, seen as unprofessional. Yeah. And they would start veering off too far away from this source material of, of this, this great story that I believe Lawrence Kasdan has written. Yeah. So. You know, the improvisation thing is interesting. And I feel like a lot of the breakdown articles have also talked about, and again, we're in rumor territory. Right. But that Lucasfilm really wanted a movie with a comedic, edge to it Mm -hmm. to have some fun while still telling you know han solo's human story and lord miller heard that is make a comedy period right exactly and for me the improvisation thing uh you know and i've done a a ton of writing where i have uh directed shows that i've written for the stage Mm. hired actors and a lot of times i will want them to improvise to help me we're like I know what I'm trying to get at in the script, but the line isn't quite there. And mm. then I'll be like, let's play the scene, and you try it. But that's improv in search of finding the truth of the scene and the truth of the character. Absolutely. That's improv like Harrison Ford finding, I know. That authentic uh, I love moment. you, I know. It's like, we're going we're gonna to keep trying things. We're going to tap into just being in the moment instead of being locked to the words to find something. Mm-hmm. Improv in film right now is so much like we need a funny line in any of 800 funny lines might be appropriate to this moment because we're only going for funny because it's a party scene in a funny movie with Jonah Hill and Jonah Hill's got his pants around his legs and there's 800 different just funny jokes he could say and then we got outtakes for the credits and that is uh, improv for that's comedy for comedy's sake. That's mm-hmm. not improv. That's hunting for the truth of the character or the truth of the scene. Mm-hmm. And that to me is my big fear. If the improvisation was just sort of like Han and Lando are, are supposed to be jerks to each other in this scene. So just make up a bunch of funny things that they could say to each other. Right. And like, Donald Glover is a great, uh, great writer. So yeah, an and actor I, and improv- right. improvisation. Yeah. And it's probably like a great Saturday Night Live sketch. Yeah. But it's not the Han Solo movie. No, no. Oh, yeah. I it, I could just see how you can imagine Kathleen Kennedy, and that's the thing that kind of that bothered me was that a lot of people were blaming Kathleen Kennedy. Oh yeah. You know, she was the heavy, and who does she think she is? Oh, only like one of the greatest movie producers. You know. Yeah, her uh, resume is insane. Yeah, they're questioning her um, her reasoning behind it. But as you pointed out, and what I believe, this was not just Kathleen Kennedy being like, I don't like what you guys are doing. This was like, I'm sure. Lawrence Kasdan and if potentially Alden Ehrenreich that's huge because as an actor you want you're trying to piece together this puzzle and trying to figure out you know, why is your character doing this at these what is the motivation you know for your character right and people will rip him to shreds if the Han Solo movie came out and it was <sighs> I, I love Lord and Miller I love the Lego movie mm, me but too. it's like self-aware and over the top and meta and it's supposed to be and it's great mm-hmm. but if the Han Solo movie came out that way and Alden Ehrenreich was like doing you know saying like hey i guess it just shot first people oh. people would blame lord miller but they would also tear him apart like yeah. an animal in the street it's uh, him up there right? on screen and people are going to say they're going to compare him to harrison ford and they're going to be like what was he thinking this is not the classic han solo the yeah. wisecracker he's not supposed to be some slapstick you know winking at the camera kind yeah. of character and I, yeah this whole notion of of it only being a comedy it, it just does not it does not work yeah but you were talking about kathleen kennedy and people being hard on her and yeah. you feel like I feel like she's just being doing exactly what a boss should do. Absolutely. Of saying, I, I, you know, it's no different to me than a writer's room and a head writer. Mm-hmm. Not that she is the head writer, but she's the head creative force, ultimately. Mm-hmm. 
And I don't think people look at something like Breaking Bad and say, it's not creative because I bet Vince Gilligan said no to writers sometimes. Like, <laughs> he's the head writer. It's right. his responsibility and vision, ultimately. Absolutely. It's still creative. She's still a creative person. Right, It's right. not a corporation. It's no. this one human with an amazing resume mm-hmm. who has a responsibility. Absolutely. And as the, everyone is, quite frankly, everyone's talked about, it, it's a collaborative process. Yeah. They're not there to impose their will, but they want to keep this this story, you know, to, to, for it to all make sense and to be cohesive. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So I guess we believe that Ron Howard was the right choice. I feel like Ron Howard was the right choice because, uh, and this can kind of segue into the next thing that, that we wanted to chat about, um, I think Ron Howard is of Lucasfilm, obviously. Yes. Uh-huh. You know, being in American Graffiti, Lucas asked him to direct Willow. Right. But he's also of, there, I think there is a little bit of age perspective mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. He is around, you know, he's the, from the same era of entertainment that Lawrence Kasdan and Kathleen Kennedy got started in. Right. And I think they want to make a film that has a little bit of that vibe that we know from the 70s and 80s. Right. And I think he gets that. I think he's also a team player. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited for Ron Howard. My only caveat, which is a thing that I wanted to ask you about, is not about Han Solo, because I think this is the right call for this movie. Yes. If you're going to bring this character back, you got to be true to some of his roots, which are the aesthetics of the 70s and 80s. Mm. But I'm not against brand new voices in Star Wars. Mm -hmm. So the question I wanted to pose to you is, where should new voices go? This is a really difficult question because it got me thinking about, like, what is the tone of Star Wars? How far are we willing to push the envelope? Yeah. You know, I don't think we're ready for a full-on Star Wars comedy yet. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I think that new voices go, like, I think of Jennifer Murrow. Yeah. On the Forces of Destiny. You know, that that's a great example of a new voice who loves Star Wars and she's collaborating with Dave Filoni and, you know, the, the higher ups on how to make the story good and, and honoring these characters. Yeah. In terms of the films, I don't know. I I do think that we should hire filmmakers that have a little bit more experience. Okay. Especially if they're gonna be challenging and pushing the envelope with genres. Yeah. I think you need that. You know, that's why Ron Howard's like, okay, great. We know he's going to do a good job. He's yeah. a good director. He's got the experience behind him. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, they've obviously, they've gone with a lot of newer voices. Yeah. And I think they were trying to to uh, uh, shepherd the next generation into, like, superstardom of directing. Right. And um, I believe that Kathleen Kennedy has a good eye for spotting talent. I yeah. really do. Um, so if she, you know, wants to uh, hire someone that it is a new, new voice, great. Yeah. Let's do it. But we might run into this problem again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think it, to me, it's tied to... And I think Lucasfilm is on it eventually. Like, we need to move away from the cluster around the original trilogy. It's understandable why we did that. My Obi-Wan Kenobi movie, of course, withstanding. <laughs> I want that, regardless of anything, no matter what. Yes. Uh, but I feel like we need to go way off into the distance to something that is not connected to our main stories, is not connected to our main characters. And if it was a bounty hunter movie with bounty hunters we've never met, set you know, in the old Republic era, but it's nothing to do with the real politics. It's just uh, of the old Republic. It's nothing to do with Jedi and Sith. It's just way out there. Then I think everybody would be a little bit more down for experimentation. Exactly. It's a different corner of the galaxy. Mm-hmm. But Han Solo, one of the pillars 
of what Star Wars is, maybe not the best place to go super experimental. No, and to me it was a gutsy move that they even decided to do a Han Solo film. I'm yeah. like, whoa, they are really confident that they're going to be able to tell this story. I mean, everyone loves Harrison Ford. Everyone loves Han Solo. How are you going to make this work? I guess. Right. And get people excited about a Han Solo film. Because not everyone is. They're no. like, well, I don't really care. It doesn't excite me. It's not anything new. But yeah, I think I have a feeling like maybe after 2020 is when we'll start seeing more new voices. And like you're saying, these stories way off in the galaxy. And I really hope so. Because as we talked about, the timeline is getting so crowded. Like, yeah. Let's let's go to other parts of the galaxy. <laughs> let's Star Wars Please. breathe. Some Star Wars yoga. Yeah. Let it breathe. Let it breathe. breathe. Another thing I wanted to ask you about is I felt like uh, fans and, and moviegoers and Star Wars fans in particular would give Lucasfilm a little bit more benefit of the doubt after Rogue One. Mm. Because I feel like Rogue One, while it did still crowd the original timeline, it ended up being like... It's a standalone movie that's kind of a prequel that ties directly to A New Hope. But still, they murdered everyone, yeah. and they're owned by Disney. <laughs> and our right. minds were all blown when we first saw it. And I feel like as a community, maybe not down to an individual, but I feel like as a community, we've kind of forgotten that. Mm. And are already back just a few months later to going like, Lucasfilm isn't willing to try anything new. Like, they murdered everyone in Rogue One and then sold us toys of them. <laughs> Right. That shouldn't we be giving them a little bit more credit? Yeah. Based on Rogue One. That's a great point. I forgot about the murdering all the characters. That was a <laughs> shock to me. Um, yes, absolutely. I do believe that they're willing to try new things, and you know yeah. they don't want to rehash old stories. Um, but yeah, I, I'm not. I don't know. Uh, I think that. Um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> I was getting lost in this idea. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, just that I feel like we should maybe give them more credit that they are willing to experiment because Rogue One was similar in some ways and tied to everything we know, but also pretty daring. Right, that's true. But I, I do think that they are going back. I mean, they have Lawrence Kasdan yeah. for the Han Solo film, so they know that this is a very delicate situation. And so they're not going to experiment with this. I don't think so. Yeah. I think that they, they want to do right by this character. They want to get fans on board with this because, I mean, quite frankly, can we talk about Alden Ehrenreich's hair? Please. Like, to me, <laughs> like, that's an uphill battle. When I saw his hair, it's just very classic 70s. So you can't you can't make a huge comedy with that because it'll already be really silly. Yeah. You got to. Now, is there a still of him having correct Han Solo hair? Yet? It's really pompous. Like, it's a really, okay. like, like, a pompadour. Nice. Like a pompadour kind of, like, okay. do. It's it's large. It's large. It's a large quaff. And do you feel like that's too comic? I laughed when I saw it. <laughs> I laughed uh, when I, I mean, I'm sure in the film it won't be so silly looking. Yeah. But that was another thing where I'm like, oh, my gosh, I can just, like, Lord Miller. and there, It's this comedy, and you see him with this kind of silly wig, and it, it could just be very, very bad. Yeah. Well, and I think that gets back to, like, what is the appropriate comedy for Star Wars or for Han Solo? Because our knee-jerk defense uh, in the last 10 years, at least, is if something's weird, have the characters acknowledge it. Right. And, but Han Solo doesn't, Han Solo the character doesn't know I was created and presented to audiences in the late 70s. <laughs> so I have 70s hair. So I'll make a joke. Like how, 
He, he can't acknowledge it. He cannot acknowledge it. It's going to take us out of the film. That's the thing with Star Wars and like comedy is I was thinking about that. You know, we have these characters that have these these outlandish names and you have these weird looking creatures. It's part of the thing is, is that it seems kind of real even though they have all these wacky things yeah. and it's so grounded like emotionally that we can buy into this universe. Right. But the minute that you kind of start recognizing and being self-referential like that, I feel like that would take me out of it and be like, this is really silly. Yes. Like, the, you know, like some of those 1970s variety shows uh, with with Mark Hamill and with <laughs> yes. C-3PO dancing. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, what? Are, this is bizarre. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to call it the Joe Yowser rule. Oh. The Because we've talked a lot about Jedi Rocks oh, recently. Jedi. And I think the fourth wall should remain up on Star Wars. Exactly. And that's why people hate Joe Yowza in particular, not only because the Jedi Rock song is not great and replaces a good song, but that he does the take to the camera with like, I'm going to sing into the camera with tonsils, which breaks the illusion mm-hmm. that we are watching something, a fairy tale that happened a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And it's all real. Yeah. As absurd as Star Wars is, there's that fun buy-in of like, but this is real. It happened a long time ago, yes. somewhere far away. Right. And it mattered to these characters. Right. And it's not just a wink and a nod to the camera. Uh, yeah, I just, I'm <laughs> picturing like, you're so right, that close up where you get so close to the camera. It's yeah. just, it's just over the top and ridiculous. Yeah. We can't have that for Han Solo. No, not at all. <laughs> so uh, I want to talk a little bit. We talked, we kind of got our conversation started a little bit by talking about Colin Trevorrow mm-hmm. and how his uh, fate is maybe informed mm-hmm. by what just happened. Mm-hmm. So let's just uh, roll back a little bit, and because Ken got into this on Spotlight Star Wars, and I think that was a really good conversation. But I, are you concerned about Colin Trevorrow in general for Episode Nine? Mm, a little. Okay. <laughs> I am. You know, the thing, I haven't seen the Book of Henry, but I think that the my problem with it, from what I've been hearing about it, and I think what other people are finding fault with, is, is a pattern. Yeah. How he treats his female characters, how he writes female characters. Yeah. And that's troubling. All of a sudden, is he going to be able to, you know, create this amazing storyline for Leia and for Rey, these two strong female characters? How is he going to handle that? Yeah. Is he going to relegate them to the, to the background? Because, or is he going to, even worse, like, disempower them in some yeah. way? That's my concern. I, I don't, I'm not too familiar with the rest of his work besides uh, Jurassic Park World. World. Thank you, Jurassic World. Um, It doesn't look good. Yeah, I am with you. Like, I want to give everyone a benefit of the doubt, and I want to remember, and I think it's sometimes easier to remember living in Los Angeles, like, he's a guy, Mm. he's a human, he's an artist, and I don't doubt he has said, like, in eight interviews, what you quoted earlier, they like, we are all doing our best. We want this to be good. Right. And I don't doubt that he wants it to be good. Mm-hmm. So I'm not just like, I don't have knives out for this human being. No. But he has a job, and I'm concerned about the job he's going to do. Because in Jurassic World, there's, I'm I'm not going to go so far as to say anything that he's done is like straight up sexist. I'll let other people decide <laughs> that. But for me as a viewer, it's clumsy mm-hmm. handling of characters and particular female characters because mm-hmm. there are all these kind of like traditional gender signifiers thrown up in Jurassic World without a clear statement on them mm. and there's that weird troubling uh, a character is introduced who seems sympathetic but then we in, then they, she gets eaten by the dinosaurs oh 
yeah. And, we're, and it's treated right. as kind of a comedy moment. Yeah, that was really ugly. I did yeah. not like that. And the Jurassic Park tradition has been sort of like, we all know that we're here to watch dinosaurs eat people, but we all at least set up the moral failings of the people who get eaten. So, and sometimes it's even narratively, like you put yourself in the position to be eaten by a dinosaur. Right. Because you're being a bad human being. Right. Like and, with the lawyer and when he gets eaten in the toilet or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A yeah. Lo- it's the lawyer it's in the, the toilet lawyer. rule. Yeah. The Joe Yelzer <laughs> rule, the lawyer in the toilet rule. Yeah. Getting all sorts of rules. Uh, and then he gave a really weird interview about it where he kind of gave, oh. the, where he kind of started to talk about why she deserved to be <gasps> eaten and then he kind of took it back and said but actually we were kind of trying to make fun of basically the lawyer and the toilet rule so like even in his interview it was sort of like again clumsily handled where it's sort of like what what is your perspective what do you mean and then i haven't seen book of henry and Mm -hmm. i I do want to see it but i I read a breakdown of the actual plot Mm. and it is crazy he didn't write the script but he directed it right and it does seem predicated on the whole idea of the movie, and I think this is just straight up in the trailers, that an 11-year-old boy is smarter than everyone, including his mother. And his mother is just sort of a helpless weirdo who does whatever her 11-year-old son does. And when you just say to someone with no other, nothing else attached, no other information, like, this person just directed a movie about a clueless adult woman who does whatever her 11-year-old boy says, would you like him to handle the conclusion of Ray's story <laughs> and the passing of Carrie Fisher in the character of General Leia? No. (laughs) I mean, do you think that Kathleen Kennedy and the people at Lucasfilm are starting to go, you know, maybe this is not going to... I mean, can they fire him after what has just happened? I don't think that they should... I think yes. You said can, so I'll just answer what you said. I think yes. Absolutely yes, because Mm -hmm. I think they just showed that. Mm. That there's no... That if they think the film isn't going to be what Lucasfilm believes it should be, mm-hmm. you're gone. Mm. And I know, I know, a lot of people are on the fence about what that means. But there's a that, to me, it just feels like I'm so happy that the company is run by people who have a clear creative vision, right? And uh, you know, there's the larger questions of who should have a new voice. You know, should a company be run to just let directors go and do whatever? Those are big, great discussions, but I, I, I want Star Wars run by somebody who says, this is what I think Star Wars is. This is when we're going to play. This is when we're going to move the goalposts. This is when we're not going to move the goalpost. Mm. And I feel like I, I feel better about episode nine of either it's going to truly be a group project of if the script comes in and there's something really weird or unclear about the handling of the characters. Mm. That another writer might be brought in. Ah, that's or, a good scenario. Yeah. I hope so. I hope so. I don't think, like you're saying, I don't believe that it's malicious. I don't believe that he's intentionally trying to create these awful female characters. I just think maybe he just doesn't, he doesn't, can't help himself, essentially. So somebody, it might be best if they bring somebody in who knows how to, hey, maybe even a female writer <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. You know, crazy. Crazy. I'm yeah. throwing out some crazy ideas. Not as crazy in our post Wonder Woman world. Oh uh, my gosh. Right? Yeah. Oh God. It would be amazing. I think that that would actually, people would feel comforted by that because yeah. we are so concerned about how Leia's storyline is going to be handled, how, you know, what's going to happen with Ray. It's a very delicate situation. Absolutely. And I mean, and I do think it is really, really important to think about from the gender perspective. Mm. But even just, uh, you know, let's say a, a 
a virus spread through the Star Wars galaxy where no one had a gender identity at all. Right. And that's a part of the story of Episode Nine. I still care about the characters, regardless. I, I think gender comes first in this conversation. But even secondarily, just as characters, I want Rey to have a satisfying conclusion to her journey. Yes. I want Finn to have a satisfying conclusion. I want Luke to. I want General Leia's... The last chapter or the recasting, which probably won't happen, mm. I want it handled by somebody who's, like, really clear on why they're doing things. Mm-hmm. And more than anything, that's it. Like, to hear some of his interviews where he's like, I really want to do a good job, but I don't, I, I give you two answers to why I did a controversial thing. Right, it's yeah. Like, to me, he's like, well, do, do you truly know why you are making the decisions that you're making. Mm-hmm. Mm, this is deep. I don't know. I don't know, but I know that they have a lot writing on this film, and they're going to have to figure something yeah. out. I've, yeah, I don't normally get into the prediction game, yeah. but I don't think he's going to be fired because I think they probably, after they, uh, I don't know, soft-fired is the right word for Gareth Edwards, <laughs> I believe all the rumors that Tony Gilroy came in and, did a lot of work. Absolutely. And then they straight up fired Lord and Miller. Yes. I don't think they want to straight up fire Colin Trevorrow. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't just like a meeting with Kathleen Kennedy. It was like, so maybe you read some things about Lord and Miller. Just so you know, <laughs> we're really going to be keeping a close eye on everything you're doing. Right. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that from yeah. a creative or a publicity mm. point of view. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, boy. What do you think is going to happen? Do you do you want to go into prediction land? Yeah, I will say that exactly what you're saying. They're gonna they're gonna talk with him. They're gonna keep an eye on him, and I think that he's going to listen. Yeah. I do. I feel like he understands like the pressure. He understands like the significance of these of these char- characters and of the storyline and of the saga. I think that he's going to want to do right yeah. by them. I mean, just this, the quote that we talked about earlier in the news of the happy, sad, confused <laughs> podcast, <laughs> he, he recognizes like he's a lucky, a lucky guy to be working with Lucasfilm. Yeah. And I think you know? he is really trying to communicate. I'm not trying to go out there and do something weird or avant-garde or I'm not trying to just like, do, just to be surprising, do whatever. Like I'm trying to make the best Star Wars film and I truly believe that. Yeah. And, and maybe... Maybe with no one intervening at all, maybe he makes a great Star Wars film. That's truly a possibility. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we, we can't see the future. We can only judge by the past. <laughs> yes. So yeah. there is some concern there. There is some concern. Um, I wanted to wrap up our, our conversation about all, all of these ins and outs of people going in and out of directing Star Wars movies <laughs> with uh, the actual press release that Kathleen Kennedy and Lucasfilm released. Yeah. So Kathleen Kennedy specifically used the word delight. Mm-hmm. And that it popped into my mind because I believe J.J. Abrams said the exact same thing. Mm. That when he was working on the you know final iteration of the Force Awakens script with Lawrence Kasdan, they wanted the movie to be delightful. Oh, yeah. And it was interesting to me that that is coming out as the like, this gets into more corporate, like, but if you go into like a corporate meeting, I've done some like writing jobs where like, before you can even write or discuss the characters, like the company will make me do like a vision board meeting with them. Oh my goodness. Where you come up with like keywords. Oh. But this is interesting to me where like, is, if that is the keyword of like, Star Wars can be anything. We can do a horror movie. We can do a rom-com. We can mm. do a horror rom-com movie. Mm. But it needs to delight. <laughs> That's the word on the Lucasfilm vision board. <laughs> delight. 
Tantalized. Tantalized. <laughs> Tantalized. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. How do you feel? Do you think that is the right word? That all Star Wars movies should delight. Well, yeah. I want to be delighted. <laughs> yeah, who doesn't? Um, I also thought it was interesting. At first, I was like, oh, no, that delight. It just sounds like <laughs> such is such a pat word. It's like when I would go in for auditions and I, did, I knew I did a terrible job. They would say, oh, that was, that was lovely. <laughs> I kept hearing that over and over again. I'm like, I got to go back to class. What does this lovely mean? What does mean? lovely mean? It's yeah. such a delight, you know? <laughs> But then I thought, well, maybe also it's like the experience of making these movies. Ultimately, oh, yeah. Star Wars, it's fun. It's playtime. You know, let, let's take a step back. We can get all worked up about these films, but ultimately they are just movies. Yeah. You know, obviously with a lot of, a lot of money riding on them. It should be fun. It should be a team effort. People should enjoy working with each other because if they don't, you get the boot. Yeah. You know, and if you're not if you're not willing to work as a team, if you're not willing to be part of this delightful process, then you don't have to be. Yeah. Because we can find a lot of other people who will be happy to <laughs> fulfill their role. Yeah. I know? like I like that maybe, maybe that subtext of the press release of like it should be a delight to make <laughs> and also for you to watch. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. What did you think? I kind of like it because I feel like it is a, an attempt to take a step back and say what worked about Star Wars in mm. 1977. Yeah. And great. I think it goes back a little bit to uh, George's uh, weird, uh, but I think ultimately good quote about Star Wars being for 12 year olds mm-hmm. of the first thing that should happen is it should delight you. Yeah. And then you should, because you were so delighted, because you were like, I want to be Princess Leia with her blaster and take those stormtroopers down. I want to be Luke Skywalker with his lightsaber. And because you're running around thinking about these characters, buying action figures or dolls or action dolls, then it starts to, the ideas of the movies start to sink into you. Mm. And then they can become more than movies. Because like, well, I'm so delighted by Leia, but then she had to make that decision. Why did she make that decision? Right. But none of those bigger ideas will sink in unless you first delight. That's so true. That's exactly, you're right. It's capturing that spirit of, of Star Wars, A New Hope. From 1977. And that's ultimately, I think, what we want from this Han Solo film. Yeah. It's for it to be fun, an action adventure. Like you said, swashbuckling, you know, seeing Han on this adventure with Chewie. I don't need it to be like, you know, reinventing the wheel. Just let it be a delight. Exactly. I don't care if we figure out his whole backstory. I don't care. You know, I'm not excited about an origin story, but I think Han Solo is going to be bold and get himself into trouble and then have to get himself out of trouble, just like the movie itself. (laughs) (laughs) It's like nice and meta. Yes, Meta Han Solo movie. Uh, Any other final thoughts on our main topic, Jennifer? No, but boy, I definitely am going to be excited to see this film when it's all said and done. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's coming soon, really. So very, very soon. Less than a year. Yeah. Yeah. Until all of our uh, guesses will be answered by what is on film and hopefully delights us. <laughs> so we go on to our audience questions. As always, we have a couple from uh, not people who support us on Patreon and people who do support us on Patreon because we want to reward all of our listeners, take all of your questions. Our first question comes from Stephen Collins, who says, Why didn't Yoda and Obi-Wan train Leia to use the Force as a child and help her become a Jedi? Why did they just think it would be Luke to be the powerful one to eventually take on Vader? It's a great question. It's a very good question. I feel like this could be a Star Wars counseling episode. Absolutely. Because it's one that's bothered me since uh, I was a child. Oh, really? So did you, like, uh, you were a Return of the Jedi kid. Yeah. So I was like, oh, good. When are they going to train Leia? Yeah. Oh, no. They 
They aren't. They don't. The movie's over. <laughs> <laughs> so you were really ready, like, when you just, like, you know, pass on what you have learned. Yes. Yes. I was, ex- okay, great. Let's do it. I'm ready. And I... Wow. And then it never happened. It was a huge... That was a thing that really bothered me as a kid. I mean, I yeah. guess that's why I get so choked up about the forces of destiny, where I'm like, oh my gosh, this is amazing seeing all these female characters and getting Ray, who is a strong female character, yeah. and training. It's so exciting. Um, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Stefan, Stephen, I don't know. I'm yeah. sorry. It I think me too. Yeah, I think that a lot of times these answers, and especially things that kind of verge into Star Wars counseling uh, episodes mm. that we do, that a lot of times the answers are George Lucas hadn't made all of the correct decisions yet in order to make what would make perfect sense in canon. Right. But I feel like in canon, mm-hmm. the idea, I still like the idea that Obi-Wan and Yoda were like, well, the whole Jedi Order failed. We'll watch over these kids. We'll see what happens. Like, mm. there's a reason Yoda and Obi-Wan aren't like, oh, uh, Luke and Leia, you're two, you can speak. Great. Here we come with the remotes. You're younglings now. Yeah. We're on this. Yeah. They're letting the will of the Force work itself. Mm. And I think in all of the canon that has been developed, Leia feels the Force, but she doesn't have a, as a person with agency, like in Claudia Gray's bloodline, mm-hmm. she doesn't have this drive to be like, I don't, uh, I'm a, strategist. I'm a politician. Right. I'm a people person. I'm sure I could learn to pick up a lightsaber and go swinging it, but I don't feel like that's my calling. That's a, a great way of saying it. Exactly. Everyone has their own strengths. Yeah. And that's her calling. Yeah. That's a good, okay, I see that the, the problem solved. <laughs> <laughs> and all of her first powers are always intuitive. Like right. she's always, you know, like uh, reaching out with the force. And mm-hmm. I think like Luke was like being just like Anakin and Obi-Wan just got obsessed with him. Mm-hmm. That, that sounded creepy. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, Luke is, you know, he's jumping into the T-16 Skyhopper and being an amazing pilot with force intuition. And Obi-Wan's like, that's the guy. That's, that's the sibling that will... We'll do yeah. that. Yeah, we'll try. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, it's not a perfect answer, but I feel like that's what's in canon right now. I accept it. Yeah. Uh, Chris Lilly, at ChrisLilly9 on Twitter, asks, Have you ever found yourself in a situation where a shared love of Star Wars has helped avoid conflict in a conversation? I have, I could, I cannot think of a time where I've been in, con- I don't like conflict, uh, first of all. <laughs> conflict, conflict. Uh, but yeah, so, but I did think about, So many moments in my life where Star Wars has been an icebreaker. Oh, nice. Yes. And I I can sometimes be a shy person, especially like in big groups of people and in crowds. And so it's amazing how Star Wars is kind of like, someone will see my t-shirt. Oh, Star Wars. Hey, what do you think about blah, blah, blah? And then that gets me going. Yeah. Oh, let me tell you about my theory on this and this and that. And it's been a wonderful way for me to connect with people where sometimes I get a little introverted. Okay. Um, So that's the way that Star Wars has helped me. Not necessarily with conflict, but who knows? I'm, yeah. I'm still young. <laughs> Who knows what will happen? <laughs> but, it, but if you hadn't talked about Star Wars, you would have had the conflict of silence. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. How about you? I was trying to think through that. I think on the internet, yes. Um, mm. You know, in the last couple of years of doing a lot more podcasts and YouTube stuff about Star Wars, I've definitely found, found people who are like, oh, well, we clearly disagree on X, Y, or Z, but we both love Star Wars. And like, there's been some nice moments of that. I haven't been... A, in a conversation in person where it's like they're really like, well, normally we would hate each other, but hey, Star Wars. It's almost the other way around where I feel like um, people disagreeing in person about Star Wars has been a good uh, opportunity to try to discuss disagreement in a peaceful way. Mm-hmm. You know, especially being somebody who uh, likes the prequels, even though I, I think they are flawed. 
you know, you still end up in those conversations with people like, well, of course they were all pieces of shit. Right. And then it's a good exercise for me to go like, hey, here's what I think. Mm. Or people saying like, there should never be an Obi-Wan Kenobi movie. And like me, you know, my initial reaction is the dark side where I'd be like, <laughs> no, let me tell you why you're wrong. But like have a conversation of like, why do you think there shouldn't be one? Right. Here's why I think there should be one. Mm. So I think Star Wars has certainly led me to have more peaceful conversations and to actively think about how can this be a good interaction instead of like a, a negative one? Mm, that's a great, oh, great uh, analysis. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Okay. So we'll get into our Patreon questions. This was sent in from our patron, Jake Higgins. Jake asks, do you guys think it's time for a live action series yet? I've been watching Homeland lately, and I'm picturing a political spy thriller set in the Clone Wars era. Mm, yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> Greenlit. Oh, my gosh. I love, I love political spy thrillers. Yeah. And th- thinking about the, the universe of Star Wars with that, yeah. But, again, I don't think it's going to happen until after 2020. Yeah. I mean, I could, as we always talk about, I could see this as a Netflix series. I really could. Yeah. That would be fascinating. But who, what characters would you be interested in yeah, seeing? Yeah, that's the challenge with that. Because I agree with you that it's after this, the sequel trilogy... And it should be like some sort of thriller so you can dive into it. Yeah. I love the Clone Wars era, but I feel like we've covered it. Yeah, okay. I feel like the original trilogy is a little crowded. Mm-hmm. I know everybody's going to like Old Republic, but there's a part of me that's sort of like, uh, maybe, again, this is a bounty hunter thing. Oh. You know, because I think Ooh. the bounty hunter guild, you know, has been reintroduced into canon. So, uh-huh. like, maybe this is the politics of being a bounty hunter. I like that. Uh, yeah, I like that idea. Yeah, that that's good. Boy, um, you're turning me on to a bounty hunter film. <laughs> I normally would be like, eh, eh, but I like that idea. Yeah, but I do also like just like the actual government, like, mm. you know, House of Cards, Homeland, right. all those kind of things would be really interesting. Mm-hmm. Or how, here's a pitch. Uh, Jedi, uh, the 24, but with Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I hear that. <laughs> they were, we're running out of time, Qui-Gon. Yeah, good good times. Uh, that's a great question, great question. Jake, uh, and I think it will come sooner rather than later. Alex Brandt asks, if there were to be another Force vision in The Last Jedi, what sort of events or things would you want to see in it? Hmm. Um... You know, I would like to see more of Ray's childhood. Yeah, with her parents. So, right, whoever that is, whoever yeah. that is, parent. Um, I think that that would be interesting. Yeah, her with her parents. So we can maybe we can learn about her parents through that way. Yeah. So it's not like a main part of the actual film itself, but you know, it's just like a, a vision, flashback, yeah, force back, whatever. Yeah, force forward, force, force through, force that's through. Not, yeah, no, I don't know. That's <laughs> force back. No, that sounds like a terrible drink you'd yeah. have at a bar. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm gonna have a force back. Um, yeah, no, I'm totally with you. I hadn't really thought about it. Uh, this is a great question, Alex, and I think it's we've had a lot of questions about like. Do we want to, which force ghost do we want to see? Do we want to see Yoda? Do we want to see a young uh, uh, Anakin? Mm. Um, but I'm totally on board with you of like, this is a great storytelling device because there's a lot of exposition yeah. to have about what's Luke, what Luke is thinking. Why did he come to Octo? But most importantly, what's Ray's backstory. Right. And particularly if she ends up being a Kenobi or a Palpatine mm. or even made of the force or something, anything more complicated than Luke is like, yeah, sorry, you are my daughter, and I here I did it. I'm sorry. Uh, to have it, these flashes. Oh yeah, those quick cuts. 
I mean, when I think of The Force Awakens and you just think of that that scene and how you can just, you know, fr- freeze frame it, whatever you would call it, pause it, yeah. you know, and just look at all these different scenes and dissect it. That's part of the fun of being a fan. Yeah. So, yeah, if they can share that plot through that way, I think that's a little bit more interesting than, you know, oh, here's your, here's your dad. <laughs> Luke pulls down the little <laughs> school board. <laughs> Does the PowerPoint presentation. Exactly. Yeah, Yeah, we don't want that. We want a forced PowerPoint presentation. (laughs) (laughs) Well, great questions. As always, thank you guys so much for sending in your questions, whether you support us on Patreon or not. Uh, That is a nice, I think, fairly thorough episode of all of the adventures in Star Wars land right now. It's been an exciting week to be a Star Wars fan, and I'm sure we'll talk much more about uh, all of the ripples in the force from Mm. the Lord and Miller, Ron Howard exchange. (laughs) There's a lot there. Jennifer, uh, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, at Jennifer Landa. Uh, Trying to put up more videos, still working on that Jedi Jedi beat. It is coming. Almost done. Almost done, guys. (laughs) (laughs) We believe you. We believe you. Uh, You guys can find me on all the social medias at Joseph Scrimshaw. You can follow my comedy adventures by going to my website, josephscrimshaw.com. You can look at the live shows page there. I've got shows coming up at uh, Convergence, which is a convention in Minneapolis, and one at DragonCon. Multiple shows at both conventions, but at both conventions, I will be doing a live Star Wars counseling episode. So if you're at those conventions, come find me. Uh, We have so much to plug for Force Center. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've got a lot going on. We've reached goals. We have reason to celebrate. Yay! Yay! (laughs) We can sing the Ewok (laughs) celebration song. (laughs) We reached reached our Twitter goal of 2,000 listeners. So now we'll always be happy. No, of course, we want more uh, uh, Twitter. Did I say Twitter listeners? Twitter followers. Come follow us on Twitter. We reached our goal of 2,000. We reached 200 ratings and reviews on iTunes. And we promised a special episode of Databank Brawl. That will be featuring more major characters. So you have a very exciting brawl coming up this Thursday (sighs) with a character that Jennifer likes a lot. So it'll be very, very interesting. So come back on Thursday and check that out. Facebook, we're still pushing to our 1,000 likes at our Facebook page. We're getting very, very close to that, so come join us there. Patreon, we keep getting more patrons. Thank you so much for joining us. At just $2 a month, you get access to the monthly patron-only bonus episode, Finish the Fan Fiction. We just told a wonderful story that we released this month called (laughs) Redemption on Tatooine. Oh, that was so fun. It's very mysterious, but I will tell you this. Jennifer does Watto's voice, and it's delightful. (laughs) We all do our Star Wars impersonations. (laughs) But your Watto voice in particular. It's already been called out for being extra beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. Extra perfect. Uh, And our goal on Patreon is we are building, we are building, building, building to uh, $750 a month at which we will uh, hire wonderful musicians to create new non-generic theme music for all of our shows. You can find out more about that at patreon.com slash forcecenter. We also have merch up on Tee Public. Yes. So you can go to tpublic.com slash user slash force center. Jennifer, did you buy some of our own merch? I did. It <laughs> felt so good. And thank you guys all out there who have been sharing your photos of yeah. yourself and your tanks and, and t-shirts and mugs. And stickers. Oh, yeah. it's so cool. It's so exciting. Yeah, it's so awesome. And I did just want to give a quick shout out as convention season is ramping up. Mm. That we, of course, uh, just adore it when you guys buy mugs and t-shirts and share them with us, like you were just saying, Jennifer. But just... Just a gentle reminder that this is a good way 
to get more people to know about Force Center. Mm. If you have a T-shirt, wear it at a con. And if people are like, hey, that's a cool design. Look, it's a robot with a mic coming out of, it head, out of its head. It's, yeah. Look at that astromech droid. Then you can say, like, yeah, it's Force Center. Yeah. I like it. You should check it out. It's a great way uh, to advertise for us, which we really, really appreciate, as well as just reflect the fact that you like the podcast, which we also love. Last thing I should uh, mention is the Anchor app. If you haven't checked out Anchor, both Ken and I are on it. Ken does a show about Game of Thrones called Daily Thrones. I do a kind of comedy show about pop culture called Headcanon. So if you're curious about that stuff, go download the Anchor app. I think that is it. For this episode of Force Center. Anything else you want to add, Jennifer? No, no. <laughs> looking forward to all that's going to happen. Yeah, I'm looking forward to finding out so many things about the future of Star Wars, including if the that wicked Ewok doll, if it blinks, mm. if it has blinking action, <laughs> or if its <laughs> eyes are always open. It's okay either way. It's okay either way. There's balance in the Force. Thank you all so much for joining us. And as you are finishing listening to this episode of Force Center, please close your eyes. That's a long form of blinking. Close your eyes and imagine our friend Ken Knapsack in the woods sipping some whiskey with Ewoks. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.